You're listening to Teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. Amen, amen. Well, it's good to be with you all uh, this morning. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I go by Ant. I generally I serve as a pastor at our Two Notch Church. Uh, every now and again, they allow me to come here and give me a microphone, so I guess I'll preach the word when they do that. Very glad to be here uh, with you all this morning. We'll continue on in the sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, specifically, today, we'll be focusing on the fruit of gentleness. In the fruit of gentleness, I just want to read to you from Matthew chapter 11, uh, verse 29, where Jesus describes himself. We get some eyes into his heart, and we'll just look at that before we uh, get into the rest of our content for today. Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. That's the word we're focus on, we'll focus on. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This is who our Savior, how he describes himself to be, as gentle. That this is a part of who he is. This is part of his very nature and his very character. And one of the difficult things for Christians, I believe today, is I would say we live in an age where harshness is very common. Particularly when it comes to issues that are controversial or maybe issues that are very emotional and maybe emotionally difficult to handle and deal with. We live in an age where oftentimes the more forcefully and bluntly you state how you feel about a very emotionally charged issue, the more you're celebrated by those who hold the same beliefs as you. We live in an age where not caring about the feelings of those that oppose your thoughts and beliefs is legitimately oftentimes seen as a virtue, as a good thing, as a sign of strength. I'd say we live in an age where it is scary, and many, many of you probably feel this now, where it's oftentimes scary, even amongst loved ones and family members and those that we care about, to share how we truly feel about a particular topic or a particular issue because we fear of being insulted or looked down on or someone responding to us in a way that is very harsh. This is the age that we live in today. If I was to give you a definition for harshness, just so you know what I mean when I say that, I would say it means to be ungentle and unpleasant in action or effect. It means to be grim or unpleasantly severe or cruel. So when we engage in a, with others in a way that is, that is severely unpleasant, in a way that is cruel, we're being harsh with one another. We're practicing harshness. This oftentimes looks like we've gone from disagreeing to now insulting one another. Well, this is no longer just about an exchange of ideas where I land somewhere and you land somewhere else, but now it's become personal and I am taking jabs at you. Well, we've gone from just sharing ideas to retaliating against one another. Where I'm not primarily responding to your thoughts, but I am responding to the fact that I feel the need to defend myself and I, now I want you to feel the way that I feel. This can be done through our words, this can be done through our body language and our demeanor, maybe the volume with which we speak. When we're angry, especially, it can be very difficult for us not to be harsh, and I believe that is a problem and something that many of us struggle with, but I believe for many of us, particularly when it comes to conflict, we tend to err on the other side of the spectrum. Well, we don't often err on the side of being overly harsh. For many of us, we err on the side of passivity, 
which I would define as a refusal to take necessary action or beneficial action or a refusal to directly deal with a problem or conflict. Whereas harshness is the practice of engaging in a way that is cruel or unpleasantly severe, passivity is the practice of not engaging at all or maybe not engaging enough. For some of us, in instances where it would be very important or maybe just extremely beneficial for us to helpfully engage and step in with gentleness, our tendency is more so to shrink back. We don't want to fully engage. We don't want to directly deal with whatever it is that needs to be dealt with in the moment so we become passive rather than engaging with gentleness. For many of us, again, that's our bigger problem. And for some of us, we don't, we don't tend to, or maybe I should say it's sometimes, we don't tend to be overly aggressive. And sometimes we don't tend to be completely passive and not do anything. We like this nice middle ground of, com- of combining the two. We call that being passive aggressive. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Being passive aggressive is when you're expressing a negative feeling about something without directly dealing with it. This oftentimes looks like, yeah, okay, you're probably right, you know, since you're never wrong about anything. Y'all know what I'm talking about. This oftentimes looks like, yeah, let's do what you want to do since it's clear that my opinions and preferences don't matter at all. I have a negative feeling about something, but for whatever reason, I don't want to deal with it directly. So instead of engaging with gentleness, instead we are passive-aggressive. Sometimes this just looks like us being intentionally short with somebody. Somebody checks in, maybe they send us a text. It's like, hey, I noticed something seemed off with you today. Just want to check in and see how you're doing. Fine, period. I I feel like a lot of times we we store up a year's worth of anger in one dot at the end of a work. (laughs) One dot. There's a year's worth of anger, maybe bitterness that's going on there. So instead of saying something like, I'm offended because I feel like you never listened to me, I feel unheard, I roll emoji. Or instead of saying something like, even though I've I've brought this up to you time and time again, it makes me feel really uncared about because you're doing the same thing repeatedly, we just say, it's cool, do what you want to do, upside down smiley face emoji. So often instead of engaging with gentleness in a way that is honest, in the way that is beneficial for the relationship, we become passive-aggressive as a means of retaliating when we are offended. Sometimes when we're in these situations where gentleness is necessary, sometimes we're not passive-aggressive, sometimes we're just plain old passive. Maybe you have someone that you're a believer that you're in fellowship with, Maybe someone that's in your life group and you know they're believing something that's unbiblical. It's affecting their life. It's affecting their relationship with God. But we don't want to lose their approval, so we don't say anything at all to them. Maybe there's a brother or sister living in unrepentant sin. They aren't even trying to fight against sin anymore. They've made peace with this sin. You want to talk to them about it, but you don't. Maybe there's division in the body of Christ between you and another brother or sister in Christ. Maybe you're the one that's been offended and you know you need to address it with them. You need to try to make it right, but you don't. See, harshness and passivity both 
air, are both off from what the, the Bible calls us to, are both off from what the Holy Spirit wants to produce in us, which is gentleness, where we can engage with gentleness. The, the Greek word that the Apostle Paul uses for gentleness when he's going through the, the, fruits of, the fruit of the Spirit, it's a term that means mildness, it means humility, it's oftentimes even translated as meekness. To be mild is to not be sharp or extreme. It's a word that, that both combines humility with the ability to not be overly harsh and sharp. The term meek, it doesn't mean to be quiet. It doesn't mean you don't stand up for or advocate for yourself or anything like that. It means you're able to engage with humility. And here's a key word. And you can engage with restraint. With restraint. One of the best definitions I've ever heard for the term gentleness is that it means to use the least amount of force necessary. It means to use the least amount of force necessary. So what I want to try to do with the rest of the time I have with you today is just go over a few points with you about gentleness. The first one is gentleness requires great discernment and wisdom. Practicing gentleness requires great discernment and wisdom. One of the things that comes to my mind when I think about being biblically gentle is surgery. What a surgeon does with a scalpel or whatever other instruments they might use in any other context would rightly have them thrown in jail. Rightly. But a surgeon is so skilled. A surgeon is so trained. A surgeon has so proven themselves to be trustworthy that we go to them at great cost to ourselves, maybe financially, maybe from the pain, from the recovery process that we're ex we'll experience. We continue to go to them because we know that a surgeon hurts you to heal you, not to harm you. We know that a surgeon makes you bleed to make you better. A surgeon doesn't do more harm, more harm or use more force than is necessary. And they are so skilled with the scalpel, that they are able to successfully, time and time and time again, wound their patients to make them well. This is a wonderful picture of gentleness for us, of what it looks like when the fruit of gentleness is being produced in us, that we're able to use our tongue, we're able to use our words and even our demeanor like scalpels in the hand of a skilled surgeon. We apply the necessary force, might even have to hurt some feelings from time to time, but we do so for their wellness. We do so for their good. Let me point your attention to a few scriptures that will, I think will help us have a more robust understanding of gentleness. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6 reads like this. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse, that's a word that means something that's given generously or given with abundance. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. The Bible tells us the wounds of a friend are faithful, they are reliable, they are trustworthy. We can depend on them. So we see here that God sees it as good for us to actively engage with loved ones in a, in a way that is good for them but might hurt their feelings from time to time. It even goes so far as to say that enemies will give us kisses, that enemies will flatter us, that those who, who do not want our good might constantly say things to us over and over again that we desire to hear when they do not have our good in mind. And at the same time, in the same book of the Bible, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 1, I'll read it from the CSB. It says, a gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. 
So when we look at these verses together, it shows us that we need to be able to think through engaging with gentleness with some amount of nuance. We have an affirmation of speaking true things that might hurt someone's feelings, but at the same time, we have another affirmation of making sure that, that when we speak, we speak in a way with, that is gentle, that hopefully turns away anger instead of stirring up wrath. So we're called to say the truth that can offend people, but at the same time, we want to do that with great gentleness. We also see this play out as the Apostle Paul instructs Timothy on how to deal with people that are teaching falsely at the church where Timothy is leading. Timothy is likely someone who is a little bit shy, a little bit timid. He's probably one of, one of those who might be slow to speak the truth to others. And Apostle Paul is equipping him on how to, how to engage, how to deal with people he disagrees with, how to deal with people who don't believe as they should believe within the church. Here's what he says to him, 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting at verse 24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Questions that are helpful for us to ask ourselves. Do you know how to kindly teach someone that you disagree with without being quarrelsome, without, starting, without being unnecessarily argumentative? How are you at correcting people you disagree with with gentleness? In a disagreement, how do I know how strong I should, I should state this particular point that I feel needs to be made? If gentleness is using the least amount of force necessary, how do I know how much is too much force to use? I don't want to stir up wrath or anger in someone, but at the same time, this might be a time that I need to give a faithful wound to a friend, to someone that I love that might make them angry with me. How do we navigate these things? How do we answer these questions? One of the things that I highly recommend is interrogating your motives interrogate your motives. I'm being very particular about the verb that I'm using here. I'm not just saying, ask yourself a question one time about your motives. I'm saying an interrogation over and over again, continuously. What is my motive for doing this? Why am I asking, why am I stating this to this person? I know for me, oftentimes, it can be easy for me to want to maybe correct a brother or sister, maybe someone who's in my life group, and I'll tell them that I want, that I want them to follow Christ more, and I believe that is true, but also somewhere in there, there's a desire for my own convenience. There's a desire for me to be more comfortable and them not to continue to do something that, that frustrates or bothers me. I can be motivated by convenience. I can also be motivated by fear. I can be motivated by fear. Sometimes I really just don't want to lose this person's approval. Sometimes I don't want this person to be upset with me. I don't want, to, want them to think that I'm being overly harsh or judgmental. I don't want them to be angry with me, so I don't share what I should. Whether we're leaning towards passivity or harshness, we need to interrogate our motives and ask ourselves the questions. Am I doing this for good or selfish reasons? Am I speaking up and sharing what's on my heart for good or for selfish reasons? Am I withholding and not saying what is on my heart for good or for selfish reasons? Another question to ask. Am I attempting to retaliate right now? Am I attempting to retaliate right now? This one's for my straight shooters in the room. Y'all know what I'm talking about. The true speakers in the room. 
It's funny how, for myself, and I know I've seen the same thing in others as well, it's funny how I can become an expert in all the things someone else has done wrong once I'm frustrated with them. Once they've done something to wrong me, all of a sudden I'm able to calculate and remember and bring back from years ago things that they have done wrong. How is my memory so sharp in the times when they have offended me or when they are frustrated with me? I believe oftentimes the desire to retaliate can cause us to to remember that list of wrongs that maybe we didn't know that we were keeping against someone. And it loads our tongue with ammunition to strike back when our feelings are hurt. We should ask ourselves, am I attempting to retaliate right now? Another thing I I recommend is praying before you speak. Praying before you speak. And I believe this can even be something we do as we interrogate our own own motives. James chapter 1 verse 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. I talked earlier about how we need discernment, how we need wisdom if we're going to truly engage with gentleness. And here we see this invitation in the scriptures. If we lack wisdom, let us ask God. Let us go to him. Let us seek him. He he generously gives wisdom to all without reproach. So I want to I want to confess every possible way of being off regarding gentleness that I brought up before. I know that I have practiced in one in one way or another, even just in the confines of my own marriage. I've been overly harsh. I've been overly passive. I've been passive aggressive. I've retaliated at times. I've been afraid to speak up at times. One of the things, though, that has been very beneficial for me, um, my, my wife has I've heard her say this on, on a number of occasions. She has said that the the conflict within our marriage, the way we handle it, right, in the middle of the conflict and the outcome of the conflict changed very much in our marriage. The first day I prayed in the middle of an argument. She says, from then it's been different. I don't know how, how you are in an argument. Again, similar to what I said earlier, it is very easy for me in an argument to to see things that I believe someone else is doing wrong. It's very difficult for me, particularly when I'm angry, to be able to see what I contributed to the problem, to the conflict, to to what we're dealing with at the time. But there was something, we were in a disagreement, and she was just saying she needed a break, she needed some time to herself. And so I was just so frustrated. I don't know about y'all, I'm one of those people, if I start something, I just want to continue on until we find some type of resolution or something. So she said she needed a break. I needed to talk to somebody, and God was there, so I might as well talk to him. <laughs> no one else was in the room, so I might as well talk to him. I started venting my frustration, started venting my anger to God, started making sure God was aware of all the ways my wife was wrong. And all the ways that I was just an innocent victim in the middle of it all. And my ability to be in denial of what I contributed to the problem began to fade very quickly. I can be in denial within myself. I can, I can deny to myself the wrong that I'm doing. But as I was praying, it was, I, the, the thought kept coming to my mind, who, who are you kidding here? 
Who are you kidding? As I stand before God, who I know knows me backwards and forwards, knows every intention of my heart, even more than I do, my ability to remain in denial of my wrongdoings began to fade away. My wife says, after I pray, I always come more with more humility, with more meekness. I'm always coming to, to resolve the issue and not just try to make my point or establish my point or prove that I am right in the moment. We should pray before we speak. We should seek God for his wisdom. Also in the first chapter of the book of James, it reads, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. I'll read that again. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. You know, I wonder if James had written this in our day, if he would have said, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to post. If he would have lived in our day, I believe we'd benefit by not only praying before we speak, but also oftentimes praying before we post, particularly around issues and topics that can be very emotionally charged. I brought up earlier how specifically on these types of issues, even within the church, the, 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 the willingness to disregard the feelings of those that oppose our views is often seen as a virtue in our culture today. It's very applauded. It's very highly esteemed. It's seen as, as being strong and possessing great strength. I was talking to a sister uh, at Two Notch. This was probably, was probably five or so years ago. And um, some of the stuff that she was posting, something racially charged had happened. It was all over the media and the news and things like that. And the things that she was posting, I just, I mean, a, a lot of it I believe was true, but I just felt like the way that it was being done wasn't being handled in the right way. So I just told her after a while, I just felt like I needed to meet with her. So we sit down in a conversation. We've maybe been talking 10 or 15 minutes, haven't made a lot of progress uh, at that point. And then I just asked her, I was like, have you ever prayed before you posted stuff like this? I'm not saying what you're posting is wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying you shouldn't say it necessarily. I'm just asking you, are, are, do you post in the same way that the world does, that those who don't know Christ would go about doing what you're trying to do? Because as Christians, if we follow Christ, it, that, that affects how we live in every aspect, in every arena of our lives. And she said, no, I've never done that before. I said, let's just start there. I don't, I don't know if I can give you exactly, let you know exactly what you should and what you shouldn't say. I'm just saying, seek the Lord first. Seek him for wisdom. James here says, be slow to speak. Notice he's not telling them to reduce how much they speak. I think he's calling us to, to pause, to think first, to not just, not just react quickly to whatever we feel in the moment, but be slow to speak. Pause, breathe, think, consider. Consider the implications, consider the outcome, how it might affect others, how it might be misunderstood. Even if what we desire to say is true, we benefit. We do well if we ask ourselves, does the way that I'm saying this true thing conflict with the fruit of the spirit of gentleness or meekness that the Lord wants to produce in us? Let us pray before we speak. Let us pray before we post as well, depending on the sensitivity of the issue. Second point I want to make about gentleness is gentleness requires great strength. Gentleness requires great Great strength. There are many, I believe, who see gentleness or meekness as weakness. I even, I even read that it was commonly believed in Paul's day that meekness was not a virtue. 
We see it here in the list of the fruit of the Spirit. So for many of us as Christians who are familiar with this list, we, we know it is something we should esteem very highly, but not everyone sees it this way. To engage with gentleness, to be slow to speak, even when others are being harsh with us, can, can feel and can look like weakness to many. But if you think about it, nothing is further from the truth. Flying off the handle, being harsh with those that you love because they're being harsh with you, that does not require strength. If anything, if that's how you naturally respond, it means people actually have strength and control over you. If your natural response is to fly off the handle when someone offends you, other people are very easily able to manipulate you and control you. You don't have strength over yourself. And that's a scary thing to live in a world full of people who might possibly mistreat you if you're not able to practice some amount of restraint. The truth is practicing harshness is much more of a sign of weakness than gentleness is. The same for practicing passivity. It doesn't require strength to, to avoid beneficial but difficult conversations. It doesn't require strength to be passive, aggressive, and express frustration without directly dealing with it. Don't believe the lie that the world tells us that it's virtuous and strong for you to just say whatever is on your heart or whatever is on your mind at the time without practicing any type of restraint or caution or without having any type of second thoughts. Family, hear me on this. That is actually weakness. That's how young children communicate when they're offended and angry. An inability to practice restraint, an inability to consider how what they're going to say might affect others. But gentleness, gentleness requires great strength. It requires a, a great and unique strength. I've met people, so I used to work in a gym. I've met people that can lift 300 pounds but cannot restrain their tongue or their words in a difficult conversation. I've met people that can lead a business that, that brings in millions of dollars but can't control themselves in emotionally charged situations. I, I would go as far as to say in many cases it requires more strength to restrain a force that is moving than it requires to, 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 to get a, an object, particularly a heavy object, moving. I'll give you an example. For myself, if a car is in neutral, I would prefer to have to, to be someone that is trying to push the car to get the car moving and get some momentum going and then, and then keep it going, then I would prefer to be in front of that car that is moving and me have to stop that car. It requires great strength to restrain a force, to restrain something that is moving. It requires strength. It requires wisdom. It requires an, 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 an ability that the Holy Spirit produces in us. Y'all know what I mean, the type of strength that I'm talking about. You're in an argument with somebody, they say something, and you know 100% that they're wrong, and you say, that requires more strength in that argument than anything else. The, the pressing of the lips together after you begin to say something, you catch the word in your mouth, requires incredible strength. The Christian in whose life the Holy Spirit is producing gentleness is a strong 
Christian. They are empowered by a strength that is greater than their own. The Christian that rejects harshness and rejects passivity and instead practices engaging consistently with humility and gentleness is someone that is not easily manipulated or easily baited into a response. You can do whatever to them that you want to time and time again without being able to bring them to your level of harshness. They are strong in the power of the Lord. They are empowered by a strength that is greater in their own to be able to speak honestly and directly to you with humility and control and restraint. They are able to take offense after offense in in this world and maintain a godly composure that allows them to continue to represent him even in the face of harshness, in the face of offense, in a culture of harshness. By the power of the Holy Spirit, they are a stabilizing and peace-creating force in a Christian community. They often take helpful and wise steps towards resolving conflict that they have with others, and they can often help others resolve their conflict with others as well. They are strong in the Lord, and their gentleness, their meekness is a tremendous blessing to the church. In a word, I would say that they are godly. They're very godly. And that leads me to my third and final point. Gentleness is Christ-like. Gentleness is Christ-like. I want to take us back to the verse I read in the beginning. Matthew chapter 11, verse 29 reads, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus says that he is gentle This is the adjective form of the same word that the Apostle Paul uses in the book of Galatians when he's describing the fruit of the Spirit. And I love that Jesus describes himself this way because it really does give us perspective in at least a couple ways. Because we often see times that Jesus does engage with people in a way that's difficult for people to hear, in a way that's very firm, in a way that's very honest, in a way that offends many people. So his words here make it clear that being gentle doesn't mean you don't have a backbone. It doesn't mean that you aren't honest. It doesn't mean that you don't stand up for truth time and time and time again. It doesn't mean that you don't tell people things that they don't want to hear. But at the same time, these words of Jesus remind me of the night that Jesus was taken away to be crucified. One of the things that I highly recommend when you're reading a a narrative text in the Bible is to, is to try to picture yourself being there. And when the Bible gives you a description of what the scene is like, remember that. Think of that in your mind as you are reading the text. And one of the things when Jesus is taken away to be crucified in the Garden of Gethsemane that it tells us is that there was a crowd that came and that they were armed with swords and they were armed with clubs. In the middle of the night, there's a crowd of people coming towards Jesus to take him away to be crucified, armed with weaponry. This tells me that these people came looking for a fight, that these people did not come looking for a conversation with Jesus. They did not come with a proposal. They came with, you are coming with us, and if we have to use force to make that happen, this is what we're going to do. They came prepared to fight. And so when Peter comes in with a sword and slices the man's ear off, which many many commentators would say Peter was likely trying to kill this man, but the man may be moved in some way, and Peter ends up chopping his ear off. When Peter does that, first of all, let me just say, I didn't know Peter rolled like that, just with a a sword tucked away in a tunic or something like that. I just didn't know Peter rolled like that. That's number one. But more importantly, when Peter does this, he gave this man what this man came for. 
This man came to fight. This man did not come for a negotiation. He did not come to ask questions or to make recommendations or to give a suggestion. This man came to use violent force. Peter responds with that same type of force towards him. And what does Jesus do? Jesus heals this man. This man had committed great offense towards Jesus. He came to harm Jesus. They came to kill Jesus that night. They came to take him away. Peter responded and gave this man what he came for. And Jesus responds with gentleness and love and healing for this man. This man came for violence. He came to inflict pain. This man had hostility towards Jesus and Jesus had gentleness towards him. That man had made himself an enemy of Jesus and Jesus loved him like a friend. He showed this, this, mighty, this mighty restraint towards not just him, but towards that entire crowd that came to him that night to take him away by force. They came prepared to use force, and Jesus was there prepared to show restraint. And then less than 24 hours later on the cross, he blesses us with the same gentleness in an even greater way than what he showed that night in Gethsemane. When he dies for our sins, when he takes the full judgment that we deserve for our sins, when he takes the wrath and condemnation from God that we all deserve, that we all had earned, he takes it onto himself so that we might for all eternity be blessed by the gentleness of God. I'm reminded of Romans chapter 5, verse 12 which reads, verse 10, excuse me, which reads, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. You see, what was true of that man that night is also true of all of us. We, were, we are guilty of egregious sin against Jesus. And Jesus not only restrains the judgment from God that we deserve, but he also gives us love and healing. In our sin, we were hostile towards God, yet God is gentle with us. We made ourselves enemies with God, and Jesus died in our place to make us his friends. And even now, he is still so good to us. Even now, he is still gentle with us. You need to know this. This will help you in your walk with Christ. That there will be times when you feel conviction about sin and you, you, you see in the word of God that he is leading you away from something that you truly believe will make you happy, something you truly believe will give you joy. And you feel like he's being harsh with you. He's being gentle with you. He's being gentle with you by, by, by causing you to feel conviction instead of giving us condemnation for our sin. What we feel is conviction. We confuse that with God being harsh with us. No, 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 he's being gentle with you. If he was gentle enough with you to die on the cross in your place, that the judgment that we all deserve might be restrained, that we might not receive it, you can trust that in the day today, that now today, that tomorrow, that for the rest of your life, when that brother or sister comes to you to call you away from sin, to rebuke you, to confront you, to correct you, when the Holy Spirit has laid it on their heart to do that, that is God being gentle with you. That is him being gentle with us. We feel conviction, but we know that he has taken away our condemnation. He confronts us if we are in him, but he does not condemn us because he is gentle with us. Even when life is harsh with us, we can rest knowing that our God is gentle with us. Always with us, always engaging with us with gentleness. Family, will you pray with me this morning?